even though like we always have to put our patients first and that's where one of the biggest complaints about skilled nursing, right? They're like, it's money, money, money. I get that because I want to put my patients first as well. But because it is a business, if you have a good kind of understanding of what they're doing, why they're doing it, why they're pushing for things, I think it kind of like helps you understand how you can work in the system and with the system instead of against the system. Hi, I'm Clarice Grody, and welcome to the Amplify OT podcast. I'm an occupational therapist by trade and a policy wonk by choice. This podcast is here to help you survive and thrive in the U.S. healthcare system through a better understanding of policy, advocacy, and value-based care. So let's dive in. Welcome everyone back to the Amplify OT podcast. I am Clarice Grody and I am joined today by my dear friend Mandy Chamberlain from OT Flourish and we're here to chat about billing and CPT codes and all sorts of fun stuff. We've already been chatting for a little while and we decided we should probably just go ahead and record. So Mandy, I'm going to have you introduce yourself and tell us all about your business, what it is that you do and why you wanted to talk about billing. I know the exciting world of billing. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I love it. I know. I know you do. That's why I was like, this is a perfect topic. Hi, everyone. I'm Mandy Chamberlain. I'm an occupational therapist and I run, like Clarissa was saying, as OT Flourish. And what I do is I like to help support OT practitioners, fieldwork students who are new to working with older adults. So you could be in skilled nursing, home health. I have a membership site where you can get support and resources. But in addition, we have all sorts of things, blog articles and ebooks and things just kind of help you on your OT journey. So I love working with, like I said, older adults. So that is why I was like, we need to talk about CPT codes and making sure that (laughs) when you are working in settings like skilled nursing, that we are using the correct codes and why it's important because it really does affect us. It's just a trickle down. It's just a trickle down type of thing if we don't start with good CPT codes. Well, and I feel like it's one of the most common social media questions. I get questions all the time around billing. And I think there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of things we can blame it on. We can blame it on sometimes programs not having the most up-to-date information or always being told you'll learn this on fieldwork, but then no (laughs) one taught the people on fieldwork. So then how do they teach the people that they're supposed to be training on it? Or you'll learn it from your job. And I don't know about you, but I never got trained on appropriate CPT code utilization or what even means or what what it's reimbursed on any job that I've had besides just like the person who trained me taught me how to bill, which who knows how that person learned. (sighs) So Mandy and I could go on this I know. for hours, <laughs> but I feel like you had like a soapbox prepared and I'm, I'm ready to listen to what you wanted to talk about. This isn't supposed to be a soapbox. It's supposed to just, I think I get lots of questions about CPT codes and coding and which one should I use and which one's most appropriate and why does it matter? Right? Like, cause I think part of it is like people don't understand why it even matters in the big picture of things. So what I would love to talk about is probably the most common ones maybe in skilled nursing, and we can talk about part B, but then we can also just talk about how part A is actually even billed because each code is reimbursed differently. And you don't want to like be using codes that aren't appropriate for the patient, but you want to make sure that your skilled service is being reimbursed at the level that it should be. And I think that's the biggest thing. 
And part of it, I do think is like, if we don't code appropriately, and we'll go through how much each of the codes cost. And I think that's super interesting. And I think that's something that people can, you know, understand why this is important. But like, we want to make sure that we're coding appropriately so that the facility gets paid appropriately. And if the facility gets paid appropriately, they can pay you what you feel you are worth. Yeah, the healthcare is a business, right? The, yeah. the part that we don't like to think about. It's it's always a business, especially in the SNF world where a lot of them are for-profit companies. They're mm-hmm. not non-for-profit. So they are there for the money. <laughs> yeah, to make the money. <laughs> Even though like we always have to put our patients first and that and that's where one of the one of the biggest complaints about skilled nursing, right? They're like, it's money, money, money. I get that because I want to put my patients first mm-hmm. as well. But because it is a business, if you have a good kind of understanding of what they're doing, why they're doing it, why they're pushing for things. I think it kind of like helps you understand how you can work in the system and with the system instead of against the system. Do you want to just maybe kind of like first go over? I like how I'm interviewing you. Clarice. (laughs) On my podcast. (laughs) On your podcast. Clarice, would you please start by going over like maybe the difference, just overview of (laughs) Medicare Part A versus Part B? (laughs) Yes, Mandy. I would love to talk about Medicare Part A versus Part B also good to point out that I already have episodes too about the eight minute rule. So how to utilize the eight minute rule. So we won't get into too much into that today, but that's like how, what, how many units to build, those sorts of things. Also have an episode right before this one on skilled services. So if we bring up like skilled services and the importance of providing a skilled service, and that feels like a fuzzy term, listen to the podcast. I think that's episode like 22 or something like that. So already have some resources on those things. So that is a good disclaimer. Medicare Part A versus B, right? So Medicare Part A is your traditional Medicare, covers hospitals, inpatient rehab, SNF, home health, those sorts of things. That's your patient-driven payment model, which also have a podcast on that. The patient-driven groupings model, DRGs and inpatient hospitals, those sorts of things. Medicare Part B is your outpatient Medicare insurance, and that's like optional. So patients have to opt in to purchasing Medicare Part B. It has a premium. It has a deductible versus Medicare Part A is traditionally free. It does have a deductible for certain benefit periods, but Medicare Part B is different where it just has like one deductible. The deductible is like 300 bucks, but it's still a deductible. And then it also has a co-insurance on top of it. So patients are paying a percentage of those services versus Medicare Part A does not always have a co-insurance associated with it. But when we're talking about skilled nursing facilities, most people think about billing and SNFs under Part A, which is the patient-driven payment model or PDPM where that's kind of like the bundled payment model. It's technically not, but it functions like that, where you get one lump sum of money, and then it's up to the SNF to use that money to pay for the services that are provided, which is different from the old system where the more therapy was provided, the more money they made. So that's a big change in reimbursement, where therapy is not the same kind of cash cow that it used to be five years ago. Now, skilled nursing facilities, though, are the largest biller of Medicare Part B. When we think about Part B, we typically think of outpatient, private practice, those sorts of things. And those places do bill Medicare Part B. But skilled nursing facilities are actually the largest biller of Medicare Part B services. So a huge chunk of Part B services are provided in SNFs. Usually you're going to see that in your long-term care side. So a lot of SNF therapists are used to kind of bouncing back and forth between the rehab side and the long-term care side. Um, And that's where we get into Part B. But usually you're billing CPT codes, no matter what you're doing, whether or not you're getting paid by those CPT codes. We'll talk about that. But most facilities implement one policy, which just has you use CPT codes across the board. So that's how they measure productivity sometimes. 
because it's easier to have one system and one requirement versus having their therapist change how they're billing for things based on every single insurance provider that walks through that door. Yeah, just making the same across the board. Is that the description you're hoping for? (laughs) Yes, I thought that was a very accurate description. So thank you for the the rundown. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, because the truth of it is, is like, like you're saying, you know, with PDPM, because they are getting a lump, you know, a lump sum, but they are still having the therapists do the coding, right? Even though they're not getting paid that way. And so even though from my experience, the majority of the patients that I will see in skilled nursing are going to be part A, right? And then you'll have some people that are lingering or they're staying over their days and they need to, you know, they need continued services and that kind of thing. I think the biggest thing is, is like, having a good understanding of what the different codes are and that we are billing appropriately because yeah. like you say if we're the if skilled nursing is the largest biller of part B then we need to make sure that we're coding appropriately exactly it's a huge cost so i guess what we should probably say first is what is a cpt code so if i'm looking at my emr if i'm filling something out and i don't know what a cpt code is what is it well, you were just instructing me that it's not what I thought it was not that long ago. Well, you were right. You just didn't know they were owned by the AMA, the American Medical Association. I did not know they were owned by the AMA. See, you learn something new all the time. That's why I'm talking to you because you were the expert in this. <laughs> Basically, each of the CBT codes are what the charges are for each of the services that we are providing in 15-minute increments. So... A lot of times therapists will just rattle off the numbers 97110. So the most common ones that we bill for in therapy is therapeutic exercise, therapeutic activity, self-care, and neurorehab. And so those are the top ones. There's other ones, there's you know evaluation codes and there's all these different codes, but those are the top codes. And we can kind of go through those a little bit and explain what each of them are because I think that is super important. But we were kind of before that we started recording, we were kind of looking at like the numbers of how many are billed. And that's so interesting. Maybe we should kind of go through that real quick too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you're talking about what they're defined as, I don't think everyone realizes that CPT codes have the same definition, regardless of where they're billed. So that's a very common thing that you hear oh, well, we didn't learn billing because it's different in every location. And like how you're paid may be different in each location, but the actual CPT codes, like what self-care means, what Therex means is Uh the same across the board. The standard. The nice thing about Medicare and Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services is their information is pretty much always publicly available. It may not always be easy to find, but it is publicly available. And so we were talking about the frequency at which certain codes are utilized. So CMS reports for Medicare Part B, how often a certain code is used. Now, this isn't specific to OT. This is just across the board. So what was interesting is that in 2021, so it usually takes a couple of years to get the data. So 2021, Medicare Part B billing, self-care CPT code was billed a little bit more than like two and a half million times in 2021. Now, that could be by OT, by PT, or anyone mm-hmm. else who's eligible to bill that. Therex or therapeutic exercise was billed almost 59 million times. So that is by far and away the most popular CPT code that therapists are using or practitioners are using is Therex, right? You have almost 59 million versus 2 million self-care. Therapeutic activity came in at 20, around 24 million 
codes were billed in 2021, and then Neuro Riad was around 22 million in 2021. So Therex almost twice as much over billed almost three times as much as therapy activity and Neuro Riad, and then self care came in at the very bottom of the pile at about two and a half million. If you add up all the other ones, it doesn't even come to the amount that Therax is. And that's what we were talking about. We're like, okay, Therax, is it because there's more PT visits? Mm-hmm. Is it because OTs are billing for Therax when something else is more appropriate? And we're probably like both. And you have to add speech in there too. Let's be honest, right? Yeah. Like so speech. And I mean, the same type of thing. I mean, they can be doing billing Therax or whatever, but it's really interesting when you start thinking about the different disciplines and what kind of like their specialties are and across the board, I have a feeling that we're probably, you know, across the rehab board, we're not probably billing appropriately, even though it's standard, no matter what setting you're in. Because it's easy just to put in your EMR usually, right? Has kind of all the CPT codes listed out there. You just type in your minutes or you type in your units and off you go. You don't really give a second thought as to like, you know, when's the last time that any of us actually clicked on or looked up the definition of a specific code? You're just kind of like, eh, I feel like this is close enough. And Therax, I feel like Therax and therapeutic activity are kind of your catch-alls. Like if people don't know where to put it, they put it in one of those two. Right. So I kind of wanted to just kind of go over basically what each of those are. And then I was going, I um, pulled up what Medicare... 2023 reimbursement was for my state because it is a little bit different per state. And so in my state of Colorado, I was going to show everybody or talk about like the difference in pricing and then also the differences in pricing between an OT and an OT assistant. That was interesting too. You know, but if you think about like they only reimburse at a lower rate for an OT assistant, then, you know, it's like trying to figure out like, how much do I have to pay an OT assistant versus how much you get? It's all about the ratio. How much do I pay an OTR versus, you know, our reimbursement and, you know, what their abilities are, you know, the evaluation. There's so many things, like I said, when you start thinking about it as a business that really comes into play on how hiring and payment and how much they pay their employees and all that stuff comes into play. So this is the stuff that's super interesting. So we're going to start with Therax because that's the one that, you know, like you were saying is, Almost 59 million charges in 2021. So people in general know what therapeutic exercise is, right? We're addressing the weakness, decreased range of motion, flexibility. They call it like a measurable parameter, right? Like it's like number of reps. You know what I mean? Like we're working on that range of motion. We can measure it with our goniometers. Like it's those standard (laughs) exercises exercise progression that we all know and love, right? A lot of good ortho. A lot of good (laughs) ortho. A lot, a lot, a lot. So that one is pretty common. So like, like you were saying, it's 59 million people with our exercise. So for an OTR in the state of Colorado, where I am, that is reimbursed at $22 and 70 cents. I'm going to round up to make it easier. 23, about $23 for an OT to charge for Therax or reimbursement, sorry is $23 Mm -hmm. for an OTA is $19. Okay. And so if you think about these are 15 minute increments. So you could bill like four in an hour. Yeah. You can bill four in an hour. So like 23 times four, you know what I mean? Like a little under a hundred bucks and keep in mind that 80 to $90, right? It's not just to go straight into the therapist's pocket. That's to pay rent, to pay for Therax, to pay your health insurance. To compensate for our, quote, lack of productivity, like there's so much to this, right? 
So we know basically what Therax is. Okay. So then let's go into the second highest build CPD code, which is therapeutic activity. Okay. So when you think about therapeutic activity, I always think about it. It's an action, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's a dynamic activity to improve the function performance of a specific task. So it's like squatting, reaching, gripping, pulling, pushing, stepping. Uh, now I'm running out of really good <laughs> words. Opening, opening a cabinet. Yeah. Opening a cabinet, throwing something, uh, kneeling. It's those things of those activities, but those, those activities and those movements must be impaired to the point where it's affecting the occupation essentially. Right. So you can do anything from training body mechanics to doing an occupation-based activity, right? You're working on, maybe you're doing maybe like a top, top bottom approach. And you're really working on specifically looking at the posture, looking at bilateral integration, however, you're going to do that. And knowing that, okay, these are the components that I'm going to be working on. They're part of the task, you know, the thing like that. I feel like in general, maybe that doesn't get billed as much because mm-hmm. you're like, do I bill for therapeutic activity or do I bill for like self-care, right? And we'll, we'll kind of go into the differences after, but I kind of want to just go over like the payment differences. So for therapeutic activity, right, which is I would think a lot of OTs would be billing for. Yeah, I would say it was one of my most common. And yeah, yeah. There's a lot of Therac. There's a lot of Therac. There's a lot of Therac activity <laughs> because it kind of gets, you know, muddled up. But therapeutic activity is actually paid the most. Okay. So if, if you are an OTR and you bill for therapeutic activity, that is $38 around. It's $38.12, but $38 per 15 minutes. And for an OTA, it's $32. Okay. That's a That's big, a big increase. That's a big difference. And the point of this isn't to say like, oh my gosh, we could charge more for their activity. That's not what we're trying to say. We're trying to educate and under- have you understand that if we want people to understand our skilled service, we need to be using the correct CPT codes to show that we are providing that, that skilled service. Okay. Absolutely. Okay, so then the next, the third on the list, so we went from 59 million to 24 million. Now we're at NeuroRead, about 22 million. Okay, so NeuroRead is, I think what people kind of don't think about with NeuroRead is it's almost like those preparatory, we don't use the word preparatory in the OPTPF4, do we? That's the old one. Sorry, I'm old school. <laughs> Body functions right? The body functions that lead into the therapeutic activity. So it's a lot, a lot of times I would say in general, we're probably working on 50% of our treatment is going to be around that. You know I mean? We're doing a lot of those foundational activities. So posture, proprioception, balance, right? Coordination. You don't have to have a neurodiagnosis in order to use the neuroreeducation code. I think the biggest thing is really understanding what is neuroread. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what does that all entail? Could it entail NDT techniques? Of course it could. And if you have a neuro patient, I think probably there's probably a correlation between what people use the CPT code for a patient that has a neurodiagnosis. But if you're working on those other things like, you know, stability, coordination, proprioception, you know, a lot of that kind of stuff that you think of as like 
you know, where you're retraining a behavior, yeah. right? Like where you're trying to get the shoulder to move in a way that it's supposed to, like if the scapula is not mm-hmm. activating correct, or, you know, the muscles around the scapula aren't activating, it's not rotating yeah. it correctly, you know, a lot of those times where you, what we think of as like muscle memory, right? Mm-hmm. That's a lot more of that neuro rehead versus the therapeutic exercise is a lot more exercise. And like, it's kind of, yeah. it's one of those, again, where like, right, there's a thin line sometimes Absolutely. and you have to really think about the clinical judgment behind why you provided an intervention mm-hmm. to pick the right code. And that's where yeah. understanding your skill and what you're doing is really important because sometimes interventions can look very similar for all of these codes, but the purpose behind them, the clinical decisioning making that you did is what's going to help you pick the right one. hundred percent. Couldn't have explained it any better. So for OTR, it's $26 a unit. And for OT assistant, it's $23 a unit. So about $3 more than Therax and about, what was that? Around like $6 less than Therac, somewhere like that. Compared to Therac for OTR, it's $13 less. Oh, shoot. Yeah. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the least utilized is self-care, which you said was around a little over 2.5 million. Mm -hmm. And the charge for that one for OTR is about almost $25. And for OTA is about 21. And self-care in general is pretty, you know, we kind of have understanding of what self-care is, right? Like, teaching someone to maybe use a piece of adaptive equipment, working on sequencing for brushing teeth. Some of those kind of are ADLs, right? Yeah. But it also can include home management. And so that's the other thing to kind of think about that home management is included in the self-care CPT code. Kind of understanding the difference between those four and understanding that, you know, each charge is different. And so I put together a cheat sheet for everybody. So I'll put that in there. But it's like, if you, you'll be like odflourish.com backslash free level. And I have like this free level where I have a bunch of resources for working in skilled nursing. And we can link to that in the show notes. I'll send me that and we'll put there. You know, my examples are for Colorado, but I mean, it's the same. It's about the same. It's like maybe two to $3 different. But the difference between how much the OTR gets reimbursed versus the OT assistant gets reimbursed. You know, that that's about the same. It's the same ratio. So I think, you know, having an understanding of what each of those mean that we're using this right one and that we're being reimbursed appropriately. Because if you're just throwing and saying like, okay, I'm working on balance and you kind of are just using that as a therapeutic exercise mm-hmm. code. The difference between that is like a couple dollars. And so, you know, it's not about making money for the facility. It's about showing your skill and showing your value and being reimbursed at that value. If you want them to pay you what your value is or what you feel your value is, it is our responsibility to do the correct coding. Absolutely. So that they can be reimbursed that, you know, the, at the correct rate and Yeah. So it's just kind of like those kinds of things I think are really important to understand. Well, the reimbursement's not random either, right? It's not just that CMS came up and decided, well, let's just go ahead and say that Therac is worth this much and self-care is worth this much. It's all about relative value units. The way that they decide reimbursement for CPT codes, it's kind of a combination of the amount of time it takes to provide that intervention, 
the amount of difficulty it is to provide that intervention, the quality, like whether or not it's a worthwhile intervention, and then also kind of the documentation around it, right? That's why evaluation codes reimburse at a higher rate is because it requires so much documentation. So even though you can only bill for the amount of time that you spent one-on-one with the patient, the amount that it pays for is supposed to cover basically the cost of having to do all those services, all the kind of preparation of getting ready for that patient as well as the documentation in that patient. And so that's where, you know, we talk about productivity, it gets difficult, right? Because technically, when you're working, 100% of your time should be productive towards work. 100%. But the way that we kind of think about productivity as clinicians is like, oh, well, that's billable time. But billable time is different from like productive work time. Yeah. But that kind of gets into the whole, you know, we can have a whole long conversation around all of that stuff too. But absolutely, I agree. You know, we see a lot of conversations around how much should OTs or OTAs make or how much should we get paid? And it's important to understand that you can't be paid more than the money that you're bringing in to a certain extent, because then it's no longer responsible for that company. Like they can't pay out more than what they're bringing in. Otherwise, they're going to have to shut down and you're not going to have a job at all. So it's about understanding. And if you're not billing correctly, because your codes have to match up with your documentation, then your claim's going to be denied. And then you just lost money, right? Mm -hmm. Or you had, they had to pay a coder to fix your problem. So now all of a sudden your one visit is now costing two to three times more to provide because you didn't do your documentation right. Today's episode is proudly sponsored by MedBridge, your go-to resource for advancing your occupational therapy career and, of course, getting those necessary CEUs. If you are passionate about staying at the forefront of our field and enhancing your skills, MedBridge is a comprehensive solution. With the MedBridge subscription, you gain access to an extensive library of high-quality live and recorded courses led by industry experts. So stay up to date with the latest advancements in occupational therapy, explore evidence-based practice, and enhance your clinical skills. One reason that I really like and recommend MedBridge is because they have both intervention-based courses and policy and reimbursement-based courses, and that is a rare find in a CEU company. But here's the best part for our OT amplifiers community. If you use the promo code AMPLIFYOT at checkout, you'll unlock an exclusive 40% discount on your MedBridge subscription. Yes, you heard that right, 40% off with the code AMPLIFYOT, that's A-M-P-L-I-F-Y-O-T. This is a fantastic opportunity to save some money, elevate your practice, and support Amplify OT. So don't miss out on this chance to supercharge your professional development and head over to medbridge.com, use the promo code AmplifyOT, and enjoy the benefits of MedBridge while also supporting AmplifyOT and all the free resources that we produce here, like this podcast. So again, head to medbridge.com, use the code AmplifyOT at checkout, and we also have the link for you in the show notes. Are you ready to take your occupational therapy practice to the next level? Then look no further than the Amplify OT membership. You heard that right. Amplify OT has its very own membership program. This membership is designed to help occupational therapy practitioners just like you stay informed about the latest developments in Medicare and advocacy. You will have exclusive access to resources, webinars, the Mastering OT Policy and Medicare course, Q&A sessions, plus the ability to DM me your questions and get answers fast. 
But of course, that is not all. As a member, you'll be part of a community of like-minded occupational therapy practitioners who are share their expertise and offer support. So by joining the Amplify OT membership, you'll be able to stay up to date on the latest Medicare regulations and guidelines, learn how to advocate for your patients and your profession, connect with other OT practitioners and students to share your knowledge, and you'll have access to those exclusive resources and webinars so you can reach your full potential as an OT provider. So don't miss out on this opportunity to take your practice to the next level. Sign up for the Amplify OT membership today by going to the link in the show notes or amplifyot.com forward slash membership. Don't forget to stay informed and be the change that you want to see in our healthcare system. And I think when people start realizing that, I think that really can shift so many things, even in like the negotiation aspect of it, because it really is because it is a business. It's just like when you can understand that, then you can, you know, look at really and kind of go the angle of what, you know, their bottom line. And it makes it easier to advocate because you understand what they're going for. Like, obviously, I think most of the people who are in leadership positions start out as clinicians. So they do care about patient care and patient outcomes. But they also care about a lot of different things like quality outcomes and making sure that the reimbursement covers what is being provided. And that's not to say, you know, we know that there's bad actors. We know that these systems are profitable, but it's also about when you're trying to talk to people or talk to your boss about, well, I want to do X, Y, and Z, or I think my productivity should be X, Y, and Z. You have to kind of come at it from an understanding of the evidence of the source of what is actually going on when you're submitting that claim. So I guess maybe we should talk about how do people pick the right code? Like, how do we know that we're picking the right one? That's a really good one. Well, because I think it can be really tricky when, especially as a new grad, right? Like I think as you gain experience, you kind of do activity analysis really just, Mm -hmm. it's just easier. It just comes more naturally. You know, the biggest thing is, is like when you're picking a treatment, like you said, what exactly are you focusing on? What are you really working on? Okay. Yes. You know, okay, let's say toileting is a goal, right? But you, when you do your evaluation, you know, one of the issues that they have difficulty with is they they have poor dynamic balance. So they can't Mm -hmm. stand up and pull up their pants at the same time. So that is something that you really need to work on. So if you were just doing a toileting task and you're kind of like cueing them, giving them tips, telling them where the hand placement and that kind of thing. I would probably do self-care because you're having them do those types of things. Performing the task. You're performing the task. If maybe I'm like, oh, balance is an issue for them to be toileting and I'm working on a balance activity. Yeah. Maybe like reaching on a foam pad or something like that, right? Challenging them that way. I would probably pick neuroread because I'm working on maybe the balance aspect of toileting. Let's say they also have really terrible internal rotation and they can't pull up their pants in the back. So we're going to work on increasing that range of motion. So then I would probably, if I'm working on that specifically, I would be doing therapeutic exercise because it's range of motion, it's measurable and that kind of thing. And it's important to connect that all of this is still with the end goal of improving Mm -hmm. the ability to toilet. And I think that's where We show the benefit of occupation-based interventions as well as combining that with some of the biomechanical-based interventions. And this is where, too, right, you can have PT and OT really work together towards the same goals. 
I think that's the beauty of occupational therapy, that task analysis piece, right? That's what you're talking about when they're having difficulty toileting. It's not just about sitting up and standing down from the toilet. It's also about balance and good decision-making, the cognition part, right? That they don't just try and walk away with the pants around their ankles, (laughs) you know, all those kind of pieces. And that's what I think makes OT so special is that task analysis piece. And you really, I think, illustrated beautifully there how we have so many options of how to address one identified goal and deficit through variety of different interventions, but you're also showing the clinical decision-making that went into that. And that's the stuff that has to be on your note and has to then also be reflected in your billing. Yeah. These are the things I think are really challenging for like specifically new grads from my experience Mm -hmm. is they know that the goal is toileting. So they just keep doing toileting over and over. I'm not saying that that's not a bad thing, but sometimes that's why Activity analysis, task analysis is key. Like we have to be able to say like, okay, we can do that. We can do top bottom approaches. Sometimes we have to do bottom up approaches. Sometimes we do a little bit of everything, right? Mm -hmm. But figuring out like what is behind what we're doing and why we're doing it. Like if we're working on balance in the gym, okay, you're not doing balance just to do balance. We're trying to achieve a goal, right? We're trying to work on toileting. That's the ultimate goal. But you can also take a balance activity and you can do, I don't know, people love balloon volleyball. That's not my jam, but you know, like, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? But like, you can do, you can turn that into any meaningful activity for the patient, but you're still working on balance, right? And that's where you have to know the goal, right? That's, I think, was the biggest thing that I learned as a student when I was going through my field works is that so often we got caught up in like, I want interventions. I need interventions. I don't know what interventions to do. I need a book of interventions, right? But the more experience you get and the more you figure out, you're like, actually what I need are goals. You need to have your goals first, right? That's That's part of why it's part of the plan of care development. And then find interventions to fit your goals. I think where clinicians really get in trouble is when they think of the interventions first and then try and make them fit in with their goals. And that's where I think, you know, I think that's why some of us don't love balloon volleyball, because I see people always think, well, I'm going to play balloon volleyball, and that's great. But then you ask, why? Mm -hmm. What are you trying to achieve with this patient? And they don't know. Yeah. Like, well, it could work on balance. I'm like, great, what for? You know, what's the goal that we're coming from? And that's where I think you can talk about, right, occupation as a means or occupation as an ends. And it's all kind of part of that same circle. And I think we have a lot of this going on between the ears, right, and the brain, we're thinking about it all the time. And then we, the more experience you get, the harder it gets to remember to put that on paper because it becomes so innate. Yes. But it's really important to know what you're trying to achieve, the goal that you're trying to get. So what's the purpose of the intervention? Because you're totally right. Like if we just had a patient sit on and up and down from a toilet for like half an hour, I would hate OT. Yeah. You're like, OT is going to take me to the toilet again. I mean, and sometimes you have to, but it's like, we are holistic. We are skilled. And Mm -hmm. we also should be billing for that skilled service appropriately. The other thing I was going to say is, can you explain maybe how evaluation codes are billed? Yeah, I just did a reel on it yesterday. Did you? Oh, see, see, I was thinking about eval codes because I've been thinking a lot about skill and what it means to be a skilled clinician and what that looks like. And so 
when we think about eval codes as well, this again comes down to picking the right code, making sure you're accurately reflecting your skill. And I think eval codes is definitely where clinicians are guilty of just kind of being like, well, I felt like it was a moderately complex eval, so I'm going to click moderately complex, which is then where we start underestimating ourselves. So eval codes, these were introduced in 2016, I believe. So it used to just be one code. You just coded an OT eval. Well, we recognize and CMS recognized that that didn't really adequately represent what was happening in evals because we know that there's a big difference between an otherwise healthy 60-year-old who received a total joint with no prior medical history and someone in the ICU with an alphabet soup of medical history, right? Yes. And so we now have low, medium, and high complexity evaluation codes. Those codes, the way that you pick them is actually based on a standardized definition, just like self-care, Therex, neuro And if you want to know what the definitions are, you can just Google it. You can Google self-care CPT code and it'll pull up the definition for you. Or same thing with low complexity occupational therapy of code. And I will give a disclaimer for any PTs that are listening. Your eval codes are described differently. They're similar, but yeah. different. Evaluation codes are based on three main components. The profile and the history, so the occupational profile, right? In order to build a value, you have to complete an occupational profile. The assessment of occupational performance and identification of deficits. So how how many things you have to work on with that patient, right? What things you need to do. And clinical decision-making. And so there's those three components. And technically, all three of those components are scored separately. And then based on whatever the lowest one is scored, you pick that complexity code. So for example, if you did a moderate complexity profile and history, Uh, high complexity assessment of occupation performance, and then low clinical decision-making, not likely that those would be the three combined. You would have to pick the low complexity code because the lowest one was low complexity. But I think this is where clinicians, they don't go back to the source. And so, so sometimes EMRs do have like very basic definitions, but they'll have like one or two definitions. And I think in acute care, when I'm working with my patient with a total knee replacement, no real medical history, maybe a couple things, you know, they a lot of them have diabetes or something like that. People tend to pick a low complexity code because in my mind, in acute care, a total joint is generally the easiest type of eval I can do. It's nowhere near the person who's on a vent, all sorts of pills, all that kind of stuff. But when you think about it, when you're looking at what the definition of low complexity, like a moderate complexity is three to five performance deficits related to physical, cognitive, or psychosocial skills. Well, if I have a patient who they have difficulty with balance, right? Because they just had surgery. They are having difficulty getting dressed. Maybe they have some anxiety. Well, all of a sudden I'm up to three performance deficits, which automatically bumps me up into a moderate complexity evaluation. And so it's not just about how I feel about this evaluation. It's what the code describes. And this is where we see clinicians tending to underbill. And so when you pick too low of a code, even though they're currently reimbursed the same, that may not always be the case. And I talked about that. I'll link my reel because it was a good reel. Minute and a half, learn about eval codes. But if they end up changing how they pay for the eval codes and end up do changing the reimbursement between a low and high complexity eval code, we don't want there to all of a sudden be a behavior change because all of a sudden we're receiving education on how to actually bill for these codes. Because right now, companies aren't really incentivized to teach us about the difference between them because it doesn't pay any different. Yeah, right. And so we would have a behavior change. And so that's, I do plan to record some future episodes. And I do talk about the eval codes, you know, in my Mastering OT Policy and Medicare course, which is part of the Amplify OT membership. So we get into this a lot more deeply in those courses, because, you know, it's like a, a five hour course between all those videos. But I think one thing we are also just talking about is that a lot of people, when they do an occupational therapy eval, they think that they can only bill for the evaluation. 
Yes. And okay. So example, I always use skilled nursing because it's just, it's so complex, right? But like you'll have facilities that say you can only bill 30 minutes for your eval. Like you're with a patient for an hour. You're like, you can only do 30 minutes for an eval. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the time has to be, you know, a regular CPT code, their acts, their activity, whatever you want to do. Okay. And sometimes evals take more than 30 minutes, right? And the reason why, and I think this is something that's so important for people to understand is if you do an evaluation, that's 15 minutes, or you do an evaluation, that's 60 minutes and you charge for your, just the evaluation code, you get paid the same. Right. So it's advantageous to a company for them to, maybe they don't tell you, but they quote, encourage you. That's always Mm -hmm. something, right? They're like, I don't want it over 30 minutes because that way in that one hour, they can bill for the evaluation code. And then you can tack on a $38 fair activity and maybe a self-care. And so I think some of those things is like having that understanding of that is why some of those policies are in place, but also having that knowledge because not as we know, some patients take more time than others. Patients aren't cookie cutter, right? Right. And so being able to even advocate for that, if you understand how that works, it's not like they're just saying, oh, policy or this is what we do. If you understand why, then that's just more, you can advocate for your patient. You can advocate for your skilled service and that kind of thing, because you understand that I know why you're encouraging me to do that. <laughs> and that is fine because I understand that it's a business, right? That's what we're kind of talking about today. But also sometimes that doesn't fit the mold. And those are the things that I think are super important to understand. And just having that bigger picture of how all of this fits together in healthcare, because most of us didn't go to OT school because we wanted to learn all these things. And you just feel like, you know, patient, 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 of course, Mm -hmm. of course, patient, that they're number one. Yeah. Also, you have to work within the system and trying to figure it out the best that you can. And I think one point that I want to challenge on as well, when we're thinking about evaluation And this is an area where I think clinicians really do underbill. And I'll go ahead and pull, this is not my example, but from my former boss, Sue, who I think made a really good point. We were talking about evaluation codes that a lot of clinicians aren't billing a treatment code with their eval codes. And really, I think there's almost zero scenarios in which you should not be billing a eval code with a treatment code. Because if you think about this, this was her example, when you go to a physician's office, when you go to your primary care, You come to them with a problem. They do an evaluation and an assessment, and then they usually tell you what they have found, provide you with some education, and provide you with an intervention. Now, if you just went to the doctor's office and you said, these are my problems, they did all these assessments, and then they just left the room, you'd probably be pretty mad, right? You'd be upset because then all they did is they evaluated you, but they never treated you. And we as clinicians, we kind of muddy it in our minds between when we're evaluating and when we're treating. The best way that I've come to think about it is that as soon as I start teaching, as soon as I start providing that education, as soon as I start telling them cues, I am in treatment. And sometimes you go back and forth and that's okay. We don't have to think about, okay, I have to eval for 20 minutes straight and then I can treat for 20 minutes. It might be that you take 10 minutes at the start of your eval asking questions, filling out that occupational profile, where you live, what's your name and birthday, do you know Mm -hmm. where you are? 
And then you start sitting up. Well, once they start sitting up out of the bed, and of course, that's my my examples are always from acute because that's where I work for the longest, right? You know, you start sitting them up on the other bed and you're like, okay, you're going to roll to your side and then you're going to bring your legs forward because you had back surgery and now you're going to sit up. Well, that is an intervention because now I am teaching. And then once they're sitting up, maybe I go back to the eval component, right? Where now I'm doing maybe some range of motion or some manual muscle testing. Uh I've completed that and I'm like, okay, great. Now we're going to do some more stuff and I've switched back to treatment. And so our, you know, intervention is what the OTPF4 is calling it versus treatment, whichever you want to call it. And so I think that's where clinicians then really kind of get wrapped up in this. Well, I only have 30 minutes for my eval. That's not necessarily the case. And I think that's where, again, we need to really think it's easier for facilities to tell us you have 30 minutes for the eval and 30 minutes for treatment. And clinicians then kind of get stuck in that thought of like, well, that means I can only evaluate them for 30 minutes. What you need to start thinking about is you have an hour with that patient to do what's most clinically appropriate. And some patients are only going to take like 15 minutes to eval because as soon as you walk in, they're like, I live in a home with my brother and my sister <laughs> right. and my kids is 14. They're, they can help me. I have a stare, you know, like they know what you're they know what yeah, you're going to ask. They're ready. They're ready. And then you have the patients who tell you, well, it all started when I was 15. And you're like, okay. I think that's the kind of that switch that we have to make in our own minds is not putting ourselves in boxes and taking advice so literally. Now, sometimes bosses can be really hard, but also I try and remind people at the end of the day, it's your license. It's your ethical guidance. And also more likely than not, they're not going to fire you. We're in a healthcare worker shortage. They might, but you know what? As long as you're not the worst employee there and you... (laughs) Like your job's probably not at risk. So if you don't meet productivity one week, well, they're not going to fire you for that. And if they do, then you probably didn't want to work there anyways. Yeah. You know, so I think it's kind of switching our thinking around billing and what an evaluation means, because I think that's where clinicians really under bill for their time. Yeah. Is they think that because it's an evaluation document and I'm in evaluation mode that I didn't provide any intervention. But I bet as soon as you walked in that room, you probably started providing some sort of intervention. As soon as you started educating them, you're providing an intervention yeah. that should be billed under a treatment code. And the appropriate one. Are you doing therapeutic activity? Or are we doing self-care? <laughs> and it all adds up. You know, when we were talking yeah. about that, I think I've been making notes to things to remember to talk about, right? When we were talking about the difference between self-care or Therax, it's easy to be like, well, it's just like $3 difference. But if let's say you bill even 10 units in a day, which you might be billing more than that. Right, right. If it's a $2 difference and you've billed, $10, you know, 10 units. Well, that's mm-hmm. what $20, $20 difference for yeah. the day. Right. Okay. You do that five days a week. That's a hundred dollars at the end of the week. And then how many therapists and how many therapists, right? So then all of a sudden, let's say you have 10 therapists on staff. Mm-hmm. That's a thousand dollars a week that you could be losing by not billing appropriately. And then you extrapolate that out by every week of the year. That's a full another therapist salary. Yeah. It's the whole piece and it's really getting outside of, and that's one of my goals. And I think one of your goals too, is like getting therapists to think outside themselves of how we fit into this bigger system, how we fit into this continuum of care, the patient's journey, healthcare is a business and really providing value and making sure that your documentation reflects that and reflects the code. Because at the end of the day, your documentation and your billing that you do today will influence payment models next year, five years from now. 10 years from now, because CMS takes all of that data. And so if they look back at that data and they see some weak documentation for all of our stuff, they're not going to see the value. And so they're going to pay us less. 100%. It's so interesting 
like when you start really learning about it, because it's almost like this, it's like, my mind is blown. You know what I mean? Like, you just are like, oh my gosh, it's crazy. But it starts clicking. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like you were talking about, like, even just like with the complexity codes and how Mm -hmm. they're using that to gather information, right? They're trying to see like, what types of patients are we seeing in these different facilities? Are you across the US in skilled nursing? Are we actually just seeing you know, low complexity, which we're not right. But like in general, and then you start kind of digging into like, they start associating low complexity with certain codes. So in general, like, I just think about like a low complexity, right? Like a lot of ortho is kind of what, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, you're, you're addressing this one thing, right? So then it starts correlating with, okay, if they're going to be low complexity, they're probably going to bill more therapeutic exercise. The therapeutic exercise code is reimbursed the lowest in Mm -hmm. the rehab thing. So it's like, it all correlates high complexity. I think of like maybe, you know, someone with a CVA, you're probably going to be doing a lot more therapeutic activities. You're going to be doing a lot more neuro-read and those are paid at a higher rate. So that's why all these things are important because they do gather that information and then they make decisions based on what they were finding before. And so that is why we need to make sure that even though the complexity codes are not, they, they don't technically affect anything per se right now. Yeah, and that's just under Medicare. It might be different for like other plans, you know, but. Right, right. Sorry. Good clarification. But I mean, <laughs> just like it's crazy because you don't, I never even realized before even like how they made these determinants. Like you always mm-hmm. feel like they're just changing everything and they're just, you know, cutting this and they're changing that. But it's because they've analyzed all the data from previous years and then they help it helps make decisions, like you said, for future. Yeah, they're continuously reweighting it. And that's it's just so important. <laughs> I don't I don't know any other I'm running out of words to say. Like it's it's just really important to think about and it matters and yeah, it's it's part of, you know, it's honestly kind of the most basic advocacy that you can do is billing correctly for your time because that data will be aggregated. And I think when you're talking about too the low complexity code and, you know, the lower reimbursement for those interventions, they also kind of look at visit frequencies, mm. right? And this isn't to say that always that, you know, really in my mind, a low complexity code for an eval is almost the kind of patient that you need to see twice. You see them like three times, like you might, well, I mean, like you might see them for the eval, you see them for maybe one or two follow-ups and then you discharge, Right. but it's going to look funky to Medicare, right? If you build a low complexity eval code indicating that they maybe only have one to three performance deficits, so really not very many goals, you really didn't have to adjust your interventions at all to fit that patient, then they're going to look at that weird if you then see them twice a week for six months. (laughs) right? And then you have a high complexity of outpatient and you see them for the same amount of time because we so often get used to these like rhythms of like, okay, well, this patient, I pretty much always see them twice a week for four months. I'm just going to write my plan of care for twice a week, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's harder to get creative and to really get specific with your interventions. But that's where you might say, okay, well, I'm going to start with three times a week for three weeks, and then we're going to taper down to twice a week for four weeks. And then we're going to, you know, but you need to think about that too. When Medicare is looking at this, especially as they're looking at part B and like right now, part B is very fee for service. The more services you provide, the more money you make. Well, eventually they're going to want to change it into more of a value-based purchasing like SNF, like home health. And they're going to look at how often you're billing these eval codes 
and how often you're seeing those patients. And they're going to use that to make determinants. And it's going to look funky if we're seeing all these patients for the same amount of time, because then they're going to be like, well, why should we pay more for a high complexity patient than a low complexity patient if you're providing them with the same services anyways? Or it's just going to look like we're trying to abuse the system. And so you have to kind of take that skeptic's view Uh of your own services and think how it's going to be perceived and to adjust your plan of care accordingly. And it requires more thought, requires more competency, more clinical judgment. Uh But if you're not, if you think someone needs to be on intervention for four months, then you probably shouldn't be coding them as a low complexity eval because they're probably not, because that means you've got multiple goals to work on for four months, right? (laughs) Like, Right. Well, and then, you know, on the flip side of that, what made me think about is like you, let's say they get coded a high complexity, okay, because they're involved or whatever, let's say a neuro patient or whatever. And then you're billing your CPT codes that you're doing every time is going to be Therax. You know what I mean? Yeah. 97110. But like what I'm saying is like, if they're such a complex patient, why are we just doing exercise? You know what I mean? Like we, mm-hmm. we should be using and utilizing. And it's just, I guess, just emphasizing the importance and also emphasizing that we are getting reimbursed for what we do. You know what I mean? It's just like the skills services. And it's all part of that advocacy piece and being able to explain to someone else why you did what you did. And what the point of it was, and I think that's part of like what we're talking about here isn't some kind of drastic change in how you practice. It's not some kind of drastic overhaul like, oh, my God, I have to relearn how to write notes. I have to relearn (laughs) how to treat patients. Mm -hmm. No, it's well, actually, it's in the code of ethics and it's in your practice act that you're required to understand the laws that govern your practice. And one of the main laws is documentation and billing. So actually, it's like a bare minimum requirement of therapy practice. But you know, this isn't some kind of big overhaul where you have to rethink of like, oh my gosh, I have to throw out all my old interventions and replace them with new ones. No, it's just about one, recognizing the skill that you're providing, recognizing the value of your own services. Mm -hmm. And if you recognize that value, then it makes it much easier when your boss comes to you and says, it's time to discharge. You can say, actually, this is why we shouldn't. I've been doing these interventions. This is how I've been adjusting my plan of care. This is how I've been doing this. And you can defend it and potentially make an argument versus, I think we see this all the time on social media. Should I be discharging this patient or how many times should I be seeing this patient? And like some of that just comes from experience. Yeah. We're kind of getting a feel of like being able to kind of predict what direction a patient's going, but it's also part of understanding what the value of what you're providing is in the first place and why you're doing it in the first place. Because I think not always a misunderstanding of what occupational therapy is. I think we have a lot of misunderstanding of what occupational therapy is, even within our own profession Mm -hmm. and what the value of OT is within our own profession. Yeah. I always kind of like talk about like with people in my membership, because most of them are new grads or maybe on their level Mm -hmm. twos, right? And I have a really good podcast series. We should link to this about how to write like specifics of soap notes. And you feel like I should just know soap notes. But it's a really good series of explaining each thing. It's kind of like when us going over this today, saying like, this is actually what it means. You know what I mean? Like, and this is how we can progress it. So I'll share with that. But my, one of my big things is really, there's lots of barriers about EMRs and, you know, the, sorry, electronic medical records. We always, I always throw out the, (laughs) yeah, electronic medical records. And, you know, sometimes you only have so many goals in there or the drop downs are only so much, or it's more effort to put in client centered goals. But like, I really do believe in if you can start and write some good goals from the beginning, 
if you can write solid goals, not just like I, I worked in every adult setting that you can think of. And as we all know, everyone has their own style. But if you have a really good kind of framework of how you establish and write your, write your goals, it will lay out really your treatment plan. People are always like, I don't know what to, tr-, you know, treatment plan, treatment plan. I'm like, well, if you start from the beginning and have a really mm-hmm. great established goals, then everything else kind of falls into place because it ends up being like long-term goals or don't correlate with the short-term goals or, you know, they're just these cookie cutter goals. And then, I mean, as somebody who's worked a lot of PRN throughout my career, I walk in, I'm like, I actually have zero idea what is going on, (laughs) but I have enough clinical experience that I can literally walk into, you know, and get a good idea of what we need to work on. You know what I mean? But that's me, right? Like, so if you are just, you know, new to the setting or new to, you know, this patient and you don't have that clinical experience, you're walking in and you're reading these soap notes. Not all of them have soap notes, but like <laughs> most of the places that I've worked, you know, don't even require quote soap notes, but I still write them in soap notes because I think it's helpful than the next person. But then, you know, you're just painting a picture of what exactly. is happening. And, you know, and I think there's misunderstanding. This is obviously I'm going off topic, but <laughs> like, but it's just like, you know, like, Medicare is okay with a patient not making progress. As mm-hmm. long as you're reevaluating what you are doing, why you're doing it and saying, this is what I'm going to try next. So people get really scared. They'd be like, oh, but my patient isn't progressing. And I'm like, but you're trying, you're trying a new modality with a patient or trying right. a new technique. Like I think of specifically patients maybe that have dementia. I mean, there's lots of scenarios, right? But they're like, oh, you know, they're going to deny it. I'm like, as long as they have an understanding of what's going on, it makes sense. It's okay. As long as, you know, you're fitting into all the, you know, all the criteria and doing all the things. But yeah, I mean, and that's, you know, goal setting is a whole other topic, but you know, it, it all feeds into each other, to be honest. Like, you know what I mean? Like we need to make sure it's just showing our value. And like, I do feel like OT advocacy, like I'm super passionate about it as well. And like, I really feel like sometimes I think efforts are put, I feel like efforts should be more focused on like understanding Medicare in a lot of ways, because that's where we get paid. Right. People start, I want to advocate for my patient. Of course. I want to advocate for me at work. Of course. I want to advocate for productivity, but where does productivity come from? It comes from Medicare we are not coding correctly. It comes from Medicare. Like we should be paying attention to those Medicare cuts and, mm-hmm. you know, being a part of that. And I feel like that's a piece that I don't think, I think people really underestimate. And it's all part of it. Why didn't my patient get more visits? Reimbursement. Why didn't my patient get to go to sniff? Reimbursement. Yeah. Or even like, you know, how does private insurance, they correlate a lot of times mm-hmm. with Medicare. Medicare. So it's like trying to understand that and how we fit in that system. And I think understanding that helps us ultimately, honestly, lets us do our job, lets us provide the services our patients, you know, need and deserve. Like they, you know, people who get Medicare in general have been paying into Medicare, right? And so they deserve that. But there's all these other things that get in the way. So anyway, I, I just, I think it's so important to educate others on how the systems work. So. Thank you for all you do. 
<laughs> well, thank you too, Mandy. I always say that, you know, our two memberships combined make like the perfect practitioner, right? Because you've got you've got all the interventions and all that fantastic information. And I've got all the billing and reimbursement. And together we make one pretty good OT, an OTA. <laughs> and so thank you. We will have links to the information in the show notes. I will link to my other podcast episodes. If you're curious why OTAs are reimbursed less than oh, OTs, mm-hmm. listen to episode one of the Amplify OT podcast, where I talked about the occupational therapy assistant modifier and the payment differential. You can also listen to some of the most recent advocacy updates where I talk about what AOTA is doing about the OTA payment differential, as well as the Medicare physician fee schedule, which has to do with pay cuts. So lots of different things going on, lots of things that you can have active control in. You can email your legislators, contact them. So this stuff doesn't always just happen to us. We can take an active role in engaging this kind of advocacy. And so whether it's making sure you're being a fantastic practitioner, documenting well, billing well, that's a way of engaging in advocacy. Being mm-hmm. a member is a way of engaging in advocacy, you know, yeah. and then if you want to be a member of me and Mandy's memberships, you're more than welcome. And then taking action, you know, speaking up and speaking often and talking about the value of OT. I guarantee we're all engaging in advocacy in some way, whether or not you actually identify as an advocate. So Thank you, Mandy. This has been a fantastic conversation. If you can't tell, clearly Mandy and I could go on for hours and we're probably (laughs) going to talk for like another hour after this. But thank you, Mandy. Thank you for all the work that you've done supporting the profession and also, you know, helping me as a a new business owner. So, all right. Well, we will chat next time on the Amplify OT podcast. Check out the links in the show notes and we'll see you then. Thank you. If you made it this far, I want to just take a moment to say thank you so much for listening to the Amplify OT podcast, and I hope you're feeling a little more inspired and prepared to amplify your value and the value of occupational therapy. If you found yourself at any point thinking, gosh, I guess policy isn't that dull and boring, then you're definitely going to love how we talk about policy and advocacy in the Amplify OT membership. There's a link in the show notes where you can sign up today so you can take an immediate next step towards emerging as a confident clinician. And of course, don't forget to follow the Amplify OT podcast so that way you never miss an episode. And you know, while you're there, why don't you go ahead and leave us a five-star review because that's the best way to help others find the podcast too. And of course, thank you so much to Jessica Riccio for editing this podcast and for all of you for giving me a reason to record it. You're now officially part of the OT Amplifier community and you are now prepared to go out there and advocate for OT because remember, if we don't advocate for occupational therapy, then who will?